I have the distinct advantage of over some investors that I purchase property where I'm from. I know the areas very well. I have contacts in the area, local trades, family members. If everything else fails, I've got friends, family who I can turn to. Whereas for many people who are investing remotely, they are trying to find their goldmine locations starting from scratch. When I'm looking at properties online, I already know the areas. You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. That was Seth, who goes by the name of the Expat Property Investor. Seth is a teacher in Dubai who not only buys, refurbishes and refinances single buy-to-lets in Bradford from his home in the Middle East, but does so without either a sourcing agent or a project manager. It's an inspiring story, so listen out for that later in the show. Please keep your emails coming in with your ideas for future episodes. You can leave a message at www.expatpropertystory.com telling me what you'd like covered and I'll find someone who knows more about it than me. In fact, I've had a request from a listener in Germany asking for an episode on expat mortgages. So if you've got any specific questions on lending, I've got a very experienced mortgage broker lined up. So let me know your questions at www.expatpropertystory.com ahead of that episode, which will be in about three weeks' time. Maybe if my wife and I had had a better mortgage broker back in 2017, our purchase of a new-build house on the outskirts of Leeds would not have fallen through after the lender stopped agreeing to loans of less than £100,000 to investors outside the EU. To be fair to our mortgage broker at the time, however, there probably wasn't anything anyone could have done about that. And, as I said last week, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, because in the intervening six months or so, since we had decided to ditch our pension plan and invest in UK property as our pension, our education through podcasts, books and forums had led us to a change of strategy. We were no longer targeting property leaning towards capital growth. Nothing wrong with capital growth, of course, but I was starting my property story in my 50s and we needed cash and we needed it now. We also needed more funds to build the necessary momentum to supercharge our story. We decided to remortgage our London property, which we'd been slowly but surely paying off via repayment mortgage since 2003. This was a scary proposition for the relatively green property investors that we were in 2017 but not as scary as actually selling the property, which we briefly considered, but dismissed as too risky at the time. So we asked our mortgage broker to release equity from our London property, our original family home. Now on reflection, this was a great move. It really got us on the buy-to-let ladder, and it's definitely something that expats should consider as a way to start their story. We opted to take a conservative 55% of the equity in the flat, and given that the property had all but tripled in value since we bought it, this was still a significant sum of money. We had also cashed in about £60,000 of our pension, which gave us a pot of around £250,000 to invest. I continued to plough through podcasts and spent many an evening trawling through property tribes, looking for ideas as to the best way to move forward. Eventually, I came across a thread about how to invest £100,000. One suggestion was to divide the £100,000 in four, using it as deposits on four properties costing £125,000 each on 80% loan-to-value interest-only mortgages. This was basically a house of multiple occupancy, or HMO, strategy. This forum member speculated that if you rented out the properties on a room-by-room basis at £300 per month, 
with four bedrooms per house, you could achieve a gross rental profit of more than £35,000 per year, assuming a 5% rate of interest. Capital growth of 5% per year would add a further £25,000, giving a yearly profit of just over £60,000, and therefore a return on investment of over 60% for the original £100,000. These figures were very attractive. They still are. I decided to write to the author of this post to see if he stood by this strategy now that several years had passed. Tune in next week to find out the answer. Now, back to 2022 and Seth, the expat property investor from Dubai, who has been interested in property since a very young age. I wanted to invest in property anyway from a young age. It was something that members of my family have been into for over 25 years. We were privileged enough to go and view their properties from a young age as children. I was always filled with inspiration and excitement, you know, seeing these lovely houses where, you know, I didn't think I could ever afford to live, to be honest. And it kind of left me questioning why we were where we were, because we had a slightly challenged upbringing, I should say. I learned a lot from my dad because he was a market trader and he was in business. When I wanted to buy my first property at 16 or no, 17, he kind of dismayed me away from it. He pushed me towards education. So property was always there and business has always been there. And I've been into different businesses from a young age, especially online, e-commerce and that sort of thing. But it was only when I started working that it became a real possibility. So the property that you wanted to buy at 17, you didn't buy that? No, I didn't buy that. No, right. No. Okay. Because my dad said, oh, he, the same sort of stuff, really, that we now experience with investors. Or oh, what happens if they don't pay the rent? What are you going to do if you can't pay the mortgage? And, and I've got answers for all those questions now, by the way, but then I didn't. So I just, I just veered away from it completely. But clearly I was destined for it because I came back to it in the end anyway. So have you gone back to your dad and had that and relived that conversation and said, look, dad, you should have let me buy it? Yeah, I have. I have indeed. Uh, and his, I mean, he stands quite firm in his, response that he was coming from a good place and he oh, just didn't sure. want of me course, to of course you know he, he just didn't want me to fall into financial hardship by taking on a bit more than um perhaps I would was able to, yeah. to manage and handle. Um and I guess that you know all due respect to my to my dad he's he's a lovely guy, he's a great guy. Um you know but he's he just wasn't he just didn't have the knowledge and the 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 education, the property education behind him to to be able to approach that situation. Um, and I think like many other people out there, it's always overlooks that over time property will increase in value, rents go up, cost of living goes up and all that sort of thing. So he was just, he was just doing what he thought was best. And of course, to be fair, it still worked out quite well. Yeah. Um, but he's, I think it's fair to say he's extremely proud now. Seth spent four years training to become a teacher. Some of his course mates subsequently found work teaching in Dubai, earning far more than they would in the UK. I was always watching what they were doing on social media. Uh, and, you know, it just looked amazing. Sun, sun, beach, you know, the usual stuff online. That's not actually what it, how it is. But at the time, that's what I thought. It looked fantastic. Uh, and then when I researched a little bit further into it and you look at what there is to offer in terms of your salary, your package expectations, I just thought it was a really good opportunity to go out there to make a bit of extra cash and, you know, do something different with it. Because at this point, I'd been working for a while now. I, I trained for four years to become a teacher you know, it's it's quite challenging in the UK. I would say it's a very underappreciated job uh, for the amount of hours that you do and what the amount of commitment that you bring to the role. Seth managed to get his foot on the property ladder in Bradford and then started saving as soon as he moved to Dubai. I have heard that it's quite easy in Dubai to get sucked into the expat lifestyle and end up spending a lot of money. 
Is that something that you found? Absolutely. If there was ever a place where you could find ways to spend your money, this would definitely be in the top three, I would say, in the world. And as expats, we earn higher than average salaries when we compare them to the UK. So you have a lot of disposable income. The convenience levels are just like I've never experienced anywhere else. You can press two buttons on your phone and you've you've booked a, a service to come and pick you up and take you wherever you want to go. You can order food within minutes. And it's not as expensive as you'd think until you start doing it more regularly. And that's when things can really spiral out of control. Some expats have like very high level jobs, you know, working in banking and finance, maybe, or they're pilots or lawyers, and they earn quite a lot of money compared to teachers. So how have you managed to save money to buy property? We'll be back with the podcast in a second. But I just wanted to let you know that we help high net worth individuals who perhaps don't have the time, expertise or contacts to find deals that stack right now. We can offer fixed rate returns of up to 12%. So instead of watching your savings get swallowed by inflation, why not schedule a free call via the link in the show notes to see how we might work together. Now back to the pod. To be completely honest, when I first moved here, we would live quite frugally, uh, to put it quite simply. I had a target number in my mind that, you know, this was to be saved. And this was uh, probably before I had become as educated in property and investing and finance. But it was just something that was, I'd learned from a very young age due to my father um, about budgeting and managing money. It's something that I've been very good at for quite some time. So I had a figure in my mind and, you know, we talk about in, in business, you know, you pay yourself first, whereas if you're PAYE, you pay the, the tax man first. So I always had that mentality that once you get paid, we pay ourselves first. So we take out the savings first and then what's left over, we pay the bills with it. And then what's left over from that, we spend on luxuries and going out and entertainment and that sort of thing. So I had to do that for quite a while at the beginning to get some money together. And the other thing was trying to find deals, trying to find offers. One thing I, I, I learned quite a while ago, in, even in the UK, was you can walk into a shop. If you're buying a diamond ring, for example, and the price is seven, eight thousand pounds, you can negotiate, even if it's a high street retailer. I would go in there and say, well, look, if it's up for seven, you know, will you take four and a half? Will you take five? Is it something that w- it wouldn't be the end of the world if I bought it slightly used, you know, from somewhere like eBay or here in Dubai, we have a service called Dubizzle. You know, say like you're buying a drill, for example, would it be the end of the world if you bought something that somebody had used a few times? Not really. If it's clothes, of course, I prefer to buy those new. But just as an example, it, it really goes a long way to shop around a little bit and do your research and all the pennies really do add up. I know people, they don't think it makes a difference, but I found that it really does. And that's how I did it at the start. So you're quite financially disciplined. Yes, most definitely. My wife will certainly agree to that. <laughs> <laughs> Seth's eye for a discount continued as he expanded his portfolio with his first buy-to-let purchase as an expat in Dubai. It was worth about 130000 at the time. And we were negotiating around the 100,000 mark. I didn't even know why I was negotiating at 100,000. I just knew that I wanted to a discount on it. Anyway, bought this property. Things started to spiral from there. As soon as um, the completion stage happens, all right, well, who's going to collect the keys? Oh, I'm going to ask a family member. Am I going to ask a friend? Where are we going to go from here? And then I came across some stuff online where I started researching and finding out that there's other investors out there as well, remote property investors. And this is actually a bit of a thing. This is what people do. Then I started taking some training, started paying for some education, did a few courses, joined a few networking events. And that's really where it took off because I realized there's this thing called the buy, refurbish, refinance model. 
and I can keep using the same money over and over again. I can really scale and build the portfolio quite quickly. And property is like a uni level topic as well. There's theory to this. There's a lot of methods and strategies and processes behind every little thing. Oh, wait a minute. There's loads of books on this as well. So I started buying books, became really interested in reading. It just really took off from there. As a teacher, it's perhaps no surprise that Seth puts a high value on property education. For me, it was absolutely invaluable because... I was able to learn from other people who are further ahead in their journey and really copy their strategies and just put in the work and be consistent with it. That's how it started, really. Seth's financial discipline, together with his thirst for knowledge and can-do attitude, led him to source his own properties rather than paying agents. So you're not actually paying a sourcing agent to find properties for you? At the moment, I've not had to do that. That is a strategy I would definitely explore if I was beginning to struggle to find properties, but I've not had to do that yet. I have the distinct advantage, I think, over some investors that I purchase property in the city that where I'm from. So I know the areas very well. I have contacts in the area, local trades, family members. If everything else fails, I've got friends, family who I can turn to. Whereas for many people who are investing remotely, they are trying to find their gold mine locations starting from scratch. When I'm looking at properties online, I already know the areas and I know this is what we're going to achieve in this area. This is what we could achieve in this area. So I've not had to approach a saucer just yet. Because you're from Bradford, right? Because I'm from Bradford and because uh, I'm very familiar with the area and I have quite a few contacts in the area already. He finds his deals not only on Rightmove, but also via word of mouth through the relationships he has built with local estate agents over the last few years. But what's even more impressive is how he handles refurbs. How are you finding your main contractors? Do you use a project manager or? Initially, I was using trades that I'd used in the past. So just to give you a little backstory, when I was living with my parents and working, I kind of took it upon myself to use their property as like a guinea pig, shall we say, you know, starting from scratch, going through checker trade, going through the online portals, word of mouth. Uh, I built up a pretty good bank of trades because we did all sorts of work to my parents' house. My brother and I, we both used to chip in and help with the work. We'd do the laboring and that sort of thing because we genuinely enjoyed it. We did the kitchen, we put a new bathroom in, did some work outside, put a new wall on, had the gardening done, fencing, roof work, we had a bit of plastering done. So pretty much all the, the trades and all the work that we do as investors. So not only did I build up a group of contacts through that, but I got the experience of when it comes to pricing, when it comes to negotiating, little things that don't sound like a, you know, like a big deal, but rather than going for a turnkey service where you employ the contractor and they do everything, I would say, right, give me a price as a turnkey where you do everything and give me just your labor price and I'll get the materials myself. So I used to go to Selco. I had a trade account with Selco because I was buying lots of material from them and I'd negotiate prices with them as well. A lot of people who are not in the property space don't know, but you can go to a builder's merchant and you can negotiate 10, 20, 30% off the price of the uh, products, depending on the markup that they make on them, especially Selco. That's one of my favorite places, but it works with a few different merchants, whether you go to Wix, whether you go to B&Q, there is room for negotiation. So then from that, when it came to investing from a distance, I would employ the same strategies. I would jump online, post the jobs on Checker Trade, compare the quotes, by this point, I was also referring to friends of the family who are also in the building trade. And when all of that didn't work, because I did lose a builder during one of the refurbs, I turned to one of my lettings agents. They always have a contact of builders and trades on their books. And he ended up actually project managing one of the refurbs on my behalf. We had some hiccups and things went wrong. I suppose that's a story maybe for later. But it's, I think it all comes down to leveraging. 
You can leverage absolutely every single aspect of property. You can leverage people's personal experience. You can leverage their contacts. You can leverage their time. It just depends on how creative you want to be and how far you're willing to go with it. There's always a trade-off though, I must say. There's always a trade-off investing from a distance. I find that it usually costs a little bit more, something you've talked about in uh, other episodes as well. It does cost more. However, when you weigh it up, would I rather pay a little bit more on the front end to acquire the asset and to refurbish it and to have it cash flowing? Or would I rather forego that just because it's going to cost a little bit more and not have the asset at all and miss out on 25, 30 years of cash flow and 25, 30 years of capital appreciation? So when I look at it from that point of view, I don't mind paying that little bit more on the front end to ensure that I'm still going to benefit from the income of the long term. Uh, so that's really how I look at it. And that's how I source the trades and builders. All Seth's properties are single buy to lets. But while he prefers the buy, refurbish, refinance model, he is not tied to it if an opportunity to add to his portfolio presents itself. We have bought turnkey property investments as well. That's just a case of the price was right, the opportunity was there, the numbers stacked up and we've just gone for it because as an expat, you tend to build up deposits quite quickly. So uh, it's not as necessary as it might be for somebody who's on a lower income to need to recycle the money out every single time. And with the situation that we've had over the last couple of years as well, there's been a significant increase in equity due to the capital appreciation in the properties as well. So it's like a mixture of strategies depending on whatever's there, because ultimately, if you try and focus on one strategy alone, you might be sat there waiting just because the right project doesn't come along. So rather than waiting, just invest in anything that looks like it's going to provide a good return and then continue from then onwards with whatever becomes available. So you're sourcing remotely. You're project managing mostly remotely, yeah. although with a little bit of help sometimes. Surely you're not managing the properties from abroad as well, are you? Uh, no, I'm not. Knowing you now, you must have thought about it. You're absolutely right. And it's only because I don't think I was educated enough to make the right decision. The way I was looking at it at the time was, well, I'm paying five, six, seven hundred pounds a month in management fees. Well, if I take the agents away, that's five, six, seven hundred pounds of money back in my pocket. But what I wasn't thinking of which now I am, is, well, agents are experts in their fields for a reason. The amount of legislation there is when it comes to lettings is way beyond what I could read and brush up on, you know, in the space of a few months. If you want to scale, you have to outsource. You can't do everything yourself and you can't be a jack of all trades. It's worth paying the money for them to do their part. You focus on the high income generating tasks and ultimately they are buying property. You don't want to be involved in the day-to-day admin side of things because you can outsource all of that relatively cost-effectively. You want to be involved in purchasing property, hiring more staff, networking with other people, raising funds, generating deposits, getting better deals, better discounts. That's where the money is. So that's the area that I'm starting to uh, focus on more since I've thought about it differently and become more educated in that area. Seth took every opportunity to get back to Bradford to oversee his portfolio until the pandemic forced to rethink uh before the pandemic i was going every three or four months school holidays every school holiday basically yeah right. so summer christmas easter but things were really put to the test when the pandemic kicked in because i don't think i traveled for maybe a year and a half maybe a little bit longer than that I didn't travel but i bought i think four properties in that amount of time so you were able to hone your remote skills I think it's fair to say, yeah, because it's only when you have limited resources that you're forced to become more resourceful. It's like the whole stabilizer thing on a bike. When they're on there, you just you take it for granted. But it's only when you take them off that you have to make a go of it without the stabilizer. And if, if there's a dog chasing you and you've got a bike, you've got to find a way to make it work without the stabilizers on. So yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I was forced to 
to make it work in, in the pandemic. Is there a network of expat UK property investors in Dubai? There is indeed, yeah. It's in its infancy a little bit. There's a few online groups that are full of expat investors, but I've not really met anybody who's quite as serious as I am. I don't want to put any judgments out there, but it might just be because I haven't met anybody quite who's on the same page. There's one person I know who was beyond the stage where I am, and she's actually left Dubai now. She's gone to uh, Malaysia, I think she's in. But apart from her, there's very few who are serious investors. There's lots of what I would call aspiring investors. And I think there's lots of online groups who meet looking for advice and who are trying to get into investing. However, the majority I do think are people who were in the UK, they had a property, they left, they rented it out. For example, um, they might be looking to buy one or two more, or they're just trying to manage the one that they've got already from a distance. But there's definitely some investors out here. Seth attributes some of his success to the guidance he received from his mentor. First, I trained with him and did a BRR training course. And then I ended up joining his mastermind. And we meet every couple of weeks to discuss challenges, progress, what we've been up to. It's like a support network where we can you know, seek advice and help. So I think you're pretty happy with your property education. But do you think that you would be as far as you are if you hadn't had a mentor? No, no, without a doubt. Why not? No. Um, The reason for that is because... um, Because you're quite a motivated guy. I get the impression that you would have got as far as you are, whether you had a mentor or not. I think think that's a fair fair point to make. But I, the, the trouble is, it's not necessarily just about motivation. Motivation will get you so far. I mean, it'll get you a lot further than somebody who's not motivated, definitely. But the next part of that is experience and strategy, and you need guidance. To give you an example of that, one of my refurbs ended up hitting a bit of a roadblock where a builder ran off with some money. I was kind of left thinking, you know, what do I do now? And it really threw me. So motivated or not, I didn't have the skills, I should say, to be able to cope with it and manage it in the right way. So when I took this to my mentor and said, look, this is what's happened. You've got to remember, mentor is not just about the skills and strategy you know, relating to property. It's about your mental well-being as well. It's about your thought process. You'll get so far on your own, but having somebody behind you, pushing you and motivating you and guiding you in the right direction, that will take you to the next level, I believe. So when it comes to challenges and things, that's where I think having mentorship and having training is invaluable. But it does come from taking action as well. You can spend all the money in the world on courses and training and books but until you actually start putting the hours in yourself it's not going to materialize but equally you you can go places you know by putting in the effort but having somebody else say actually by the way we thought about this or that sounds like a really good move but try this move as well this this is going to make you a lot more money it's going to get you where you want to be so much quicker Uh, so that's why i stand by uh, education i think it's um i think it's brilliant now subscribers will know that i always ask my guests to bring some humor Because this is, of course, the only property podcast in the world that comes with a free joke. Okay, so my joke is, what do sea monsters eat? I don't know. What do sea monsters eat? Fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a lame one. It's good enough. It's good enough. It'll do with it. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Monopoly challenge. I'm a huge fan of the game. Huge fan. Especially given that we're in property, Monopoly is just very appropriate, isn't it? So, Yeah. yeah, huge fan. Strategy. Try to get as many hotels as possible. Doesn't matter where? Doesn't matter where. As long as you own property, it doesn't matter where it is. Right, okay. Sounds like real life. Yeah, literally. Yeah. The skills are so transferable. It's um, it's quite amazing. Just to remind you, you have 30 seconds to name as many squares as possible without repeating any squares. Okay. 
uh, Strand, uh, Regent Street, Leicester Square, uh, Oxford Street, Bond Street, uh, Trafalgar Square, uh, Park Lane, um, King's Cross is on there, Euston's on there, um, uh, Marylebone is on there, uh, Pall Mall, I want to say Pall Mall is another one. Uh... That's it. Yeah, that's it. Seth scored 11, which puts him in fourth equal with Vicky Woucher, which means that Helen Godbold Eid from episode 7 is still in the lead with 21. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, Seth, what's the best way to do that? The best way to get in touch would be to find me on Instagram. My handle is at expat property investor. Drop me a DM on there um, and I'll be happy to help if there's any other expat investors we're looking for a little bit of support, a little bit of guidance. Happy to share uh, some of my experiences. If there's anybody who's struggling for contacts in the UK or they're looking to invest in my area, I'm very happy to share my contacts there as well. I get messages quite regularly from people asking about solicitors, accountants, even builders. I'm not protective over any of the people that I work with. I'm just happy to help and support anybody however I can. Well, great. I think you've been a great help to our listeners today. I think you've added a lot of value and given us a flavour of Dubai. So thank you very much for being on Expat Property Story. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I look forward to hearing some more of your episodes. Well, I found Seth's story quite inspiring and there's lots of great things I could highlight, but three things stood out for me. One was Seth's attitude to money and saving it. He shows that you don't have to have a lucrative salary to get started in property if you have some willpower, determination and a healthy dose of delayed gratification, which in Dubai, by all accounts, is easier said than done. The second was his choice of where to invest. If you have family and friends in a location in the UK where you can realistically invest and get a good return on your investment in terms of cash flow, then that could be your first port of call. There's no substitute for having boots on the ground in your chosen area. You don't have to use them, and it sounds like Seth is pretty independent, but it's handy to have them if they're needed. And finally, Seth takes action rather than over-analyzing. So when he bought his first buy-to-let as an expat, he hadn't planned everything out to the last detail. It was only after he completed that he started to think about who would collect the keys and manage the property, etc., etc., This is what I call a ready-shoot-aim philosophy. You get as ready as you reasonably can, but at a certain point, you just have to shoot. If you hit the target, all well and good. If you don't, you readjust your aim, learn from your mistakes and go again. That's got to be better than continually aiming without ever pulling the trigger. Willpower and taking action are also high on the agenda in next week's show, as I talk to an expat who chose an investment area that was not his hometown, but booked into a hotel for a couple of weeks and walked the streets until he knew the area as if it was his hometown. One last reminder to subscribe if you haven't already done so, or leave a review or a message or an idea for the show at www.expatpropertystory.com. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from Seth's story, then share the show to spread the word. You've been listening to Expat Property Story.